You're listening to special programming sponsored by Stovall and Associates Law Firm. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, Las Vegas. This is Larissa Drahobitzer, your co-host of Vegas Law Talk. I'm joined by my wonderful host, Mr. Leslie Mark Stovall, attorney at law. Good morning, Larissa. How are you doing? Doing great. Listeners, I'd like you guys to know that today we are going to be discussing current legal affairs. And in the last part of the show, we're going to discuss how you can come to an estate planning seminar if you are interested in getting an estate plan set up, which includes either getting a will, a trust, or power of attorney. Larissa, I was really interested in prosecutions that are occurring in Germany. Germany appears to me to be taking the lead on prosecution of war criminals coming out of Syria. As you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees went into uh, Europe and a lot of them ended up in uh, Germany. The Germans are using a theory called universal jurisdiction to prosecute these individuals for war crimes. Last month, there were news reports about a intelligence uh, officer in the Syrian army that was prosecuted and has been sentenced to life in prison. He was involved in more than 5,000 persons' deaths in Syrian prisons uh, prior to his him fleeing Syria for Germany. And recently, uh, there's published reports of a Syrian physician, a doctor, if you can believe it, who was involved in the torture of Syrians that were in custody uh, during the Civil War. When was the Civil War? Well, it's still going on as far as I know. It started um, uh, when we pulled out of Iraq. So I think I think it's been going on for about 10 years now. It's Alar Bashar is the uh, president of Syria and uh, he has um, tortured and used chemical weapons on his population. Why? Uh, Why would well, he do that? I don't think he wants to give up power. And uh, the Russians have been supporting uh, his regime. But what's interesting to me is that uh, European uh, countries, France, for example, and Germany are prosecuting these individuals that were involved in suppression and torture of Syrians in Europe. And they're using a theory called universal jurisdiction. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. Well, universal jurisdiction is this idea that a national court can prosecute individuals for serious crimes against um, international laws, such as crimes against humanity or, or war crimes or genocide or torture. Now, the United States hasn't uh, universal jurisdiction. In fact, it appears that the United States criminal code would not allow for use of such a theory because of the way it's structured. In the United States, what uh, has been used is the alien tort statute. Well, this is a It's been around a long time, and what it does is it allows for non-residents, non-U.S. residents, aliens, to come in who are in the United States if they've been injured outside of the country uh, by a non-U.S. citizen. They can bring an action here in the United States where the United States has used this statute for prosecution of uh, foreign persons who've engaged in these kinds of acts. That statute requires uh, the a defendant to be in the United States, that they've acted under color of law of their country. Even corporations can be prosecuted under this statute. And it's been used uh, to prosecute people for torture or extrajudicial killings and things like that here in the United States. I just think it's really interesting that countries are, European countries are using this to prosecute 
uh, war crimes and, and are apparently being very active in that issue. Have uh, you seen anything uh, recently that's been of interest to you? I have the lawsuits and settlements regarding the sexual assault of students. You know, uh, University of uh, Michigan uh, has just entered into a $490 million settlement involving a doctor. And this doctor had been employed by the University of Michigan for over 30 years. He died recently, though. Well, in 2008, right? Yeah. What was his name? Well, his name was uh, Robert Anderson, and he was a physician, and he really dealt with a lot of athletes uh, at the University of Michigan. So he was like a Larry Nasser. Kind of like a Larry Nasser, you know. Uh, they settled that lawsuit against the Olympics for like 300 and something, like $380 million. Yeah, it was a ton of money. And, you know, he was allowed and had access to uh, students for 20, 30 years, apparently. He was also involved, Nasser was involved in the Olympics. Isn't he the guy that uh, yes. uh, abused the gymnast? Yes, and there was a, a local, well, an attorney, she was local, she moved away to Texas. But she was a plaintiff in that lawsuit. She was in, in the Olympics, a gymnast. And she announced the settlement and that she was a defendant, so it was it's not confidential. Well, I gotta tell you, it's kind of shocking. One of the things that seems to stand out to me, or that does stand out to me about all these cases, is people within universities were aware this was going on. In the Nasser case, the other case was the Sandusky case at the Penn State. That's uh, just sick. And so you have these administrators or um, uh, other people within the university that are well aware of what's going on and they don't report it and they allow it to continue on. You know, the North That's Ca part of the reason why it settled for so much money, right? Well, uh, that and the number of uh, uh, victims. This guy, uh, Anderson, it's reported that there was over a thousand uh, individuals who accused Dr. Anderson of sexual abuse at the University of Michigan, if you can believe. You would think that that's uh, one institution that uh, would be uh, very uh, progressive in its policies and in reporting. Even the uh, coach of the uh, Shim Beckler, who was the coach of the football team, his son was sexually assaulted by uh, Dr. Anderson when he was a student. When you talk about the other settlements, 2013 Penn State uh, paid nearly 60 million for the couple dozen uh, victims of uh, Jerry Sandusky. Michigan State paid $500 million in 2018 to victims of uh, Dr. Nasser. Haven't uh, the statutes changed on reporting um, sexual abuse and being able to sue or bring charges against somebody criminally? Well, they have all over the country. Um, for example, uh, Nevada, in, uh, and this has been some time ago, in 1990, the Supreme Court said there was no statute of limitations on child sexual assault claims if the assault occurred when the uh, individual was a minor. Was the, that for criminal? No, that's a civil case. And uh, here in Nevada, the statutes have been, uh, uh, the criminal statutes for sexual assault have been changed. So there's a 20-year statute of limitations on adults. If you are sexually assaulted and you report the sexual assault uh, to the police, the, the statute of limitations is told. The individual can be prosecuted at any time. And if the sexual assault involves a minor or or sex trafficking of a minor, uh, the statute of limitations is age uh, 36 of the victim. Now, sexual assault is a pretty broad term that doesn't just mean rape, right? That's or molestation. Correct. 
molestation, um, improper uh, touching of, um, of a person. So uh, it just means has to be a contact made. That's right. Uh, a sexual contact with, a, with an individual. Okay. And, but if it was something that didn't involve a contact, that would not be sexual assault. Well, no, it, in those kinds of cases where you have like a hostile work environment or somebody who is... Um, Exposes themselves. Well, exposure is a little bit different. And uh, exposure, I think, may fall under... It's not a sexual assault. Uh, it's uh, lewdness. And uh, depending on what the consequences of the lewd act are, uh, I think there are more serious consequences to that than simply exposing yourself. Uh, it's, it can be a very serious crime. Interestingly enough, the University of North Carolina School of Arts, which has been around since the 60s, is a premier school for uh, arts, including dance and paint and things like that. They have just been named a defendant uh, as a result of, it looks to me like mostly dancers uh, that were involved in this, for sexual abuse of students. Um, and this goes back uh, for many years. In this lawsuit, it talks about now, there are 29 uh, defendants, eight of whom uh, were accused of actually sexually abusing students, and then 19 former administrators who are named defendants who allowed uh, this uh, cultural exploitation to exist. And that case... Um, Didn't they just settle the Boy Scouts lawsuit and they're still looking for victims? The Boy Scout uh, lawsuit, uh, I think they've set up a fund for victims. Right. Um, it's just amazing to me that uh, individuals who these sexual predators are allowed to be in an environment where people don't report. Uh, and well, it sounds like people do report and then it's being ignored. Well, that sure seems to be the, the situation in these university cases. Yeah, you know, and you've, you've done quite a number of cases where you've represented victims of sexual abuse and assault, right? Uh, I have. And what types of um, what types of evidence is is used to prove those kind of cases? Is it just like a he said, she said, or you have to have like emails or? Well, often uh, you either it's a combination of uh, of evidence. You can have physical evidence where you have a a violent sexual assault uh, on an individual, and in fact, the hospitals are set up and Metro set up uh, our local police department to take victims who report and do a physical examination. Most hospitals have certified nurses who do sexual assault uh, But isn't there exams. like a backlog on processing those? For genetic material, there is a delay, but uh, the physical examination, there is not. The nurse is available. She has uh, the equipment necessary to do the examination and to photograph it. Uh, they also do diagrams of the... Uh, so of what the, if somebody sexually assaulted and they don't know the perpetrator, would they still be able to sue somebody? There's two things that a victim of a sexual assault should do. First thing is they need to report it to the police and they need to go to the hospital and have a sexual assault kit done uh, if they were uh, raped or if there was a, a physical penetration. Uh, the second thing is they should contact a lawyer because you have criminal prosecutions which are handled through the police department and then you have a um, civil uh, claim related to the sexual assault. The civil claims usually are claims against the individual and against the facility uh, in which the sexual assault occurred. So like if it was at like a school or like a place as opposed to somebody's house, like? Correct. 
Okay. So if they needed to talk to a lawyer, they could talk to you about this, the listeners, right? Sure. And it's interesting. Um, what we really look at is, particularly in public events, uh, in hotels and casinos or in shopping centers. Or like, yeah, like in the gro- if they're leaving the grocery store late at night and they're going to creep in centers, the parking that's lot. That's exactly yeah. right. It's whether or not there was adequate security, uh, what the security situation was, what notice did the uh, so property the- owner have with regards to uh, crimes against if persons it's at a, If it's at a venue then there needs to be adequate security. And if there's not, then there could be criminal liability and civil where they could sue, right? That's right. Exactly right. Okay. And if somebody wanted to talk to you about that, they could go to the website? You can contact the office and... uh, At 702-258-3034. That's Or at lesstovall.com. Unfortunately, that happens. Oftentimes, victims of sexual assault really don't know what to do. And again... Victims should report immediately to the police and uh, have an examination done. And secondly, I really recommend that a person who's been a victim contact uh, a civil uh, lawyer to determine... Well, a personal injury lawyer, not just civil. Well, a personal injury lawyer who can uh, give them advice uh, with regards to how they can recover for their damages uh, civilly. That's recover money to help them out. I was uh, also interested recently in self-autonomous vehicles. Self-driving vehicles, right? That's right, self-driving vehicles. And there was a newspaper, uh, excuse me, a news uh, article about a engineer, Dan O'Dowd, I think uh, is his name, and he runs the Green Hill Software uh, Company. And they supply software for a lot of applications like airplanes and uh, spacecraft and things like that, military applications. And he was very, he came out on it with an ad criticizing Tesla in particular. And he was saying that self-driving vehicles, the software that they're using, is really a Microsoft-based software uh, that's just been uh, changed to using vehicles. So self-driving, can they not stop at a red light? Well, they're supposed to. They're supposed to. But doesn't the driver have to press the brake? No, I think these uh, autonomous driving systems, you um, hit a button and it's supposed to drive. And you... Okay, well, there was a guy who was charged with manslaughter for running the light on self-driving. But you would think if you see the lights red and you're on the self-driving mode, you would slam on the brakes. You've seen the advertisements where they have people uh, singing and clapping their hands and doing other things, reading. Los Angeles Times just reported a auto accident where uh, two people were killed. They're driving along and um, a Tesla went through the intersection on autopilot and hit these people and killed them. The driver of that vehicle who was using the autopilot was charged with manslaughter. And this is the, uh, according to the LA Times, the first case in the United States where a person using autopilot in a car, self-driving feature, has been charged with uh, felony uh, manslaughter. I don't know. Um, It seems to me if you're going to use autopilot in a car, you'd want to keep your eye on stuff. But um, I suspect a lot of people would say, well, it's autopilot. They tell me I can do this and get out a book and start reading or uh, have lunch or talk to their family or something like that. I I don't know. Well, this fellow Dowd says the problem, uh, this is that um, Don project, Uh, He said that uh, in his study of the software that's being used in these cars like Tesla is that there's a malfunction 
every eight minutes. Uh, every 36 uh, minutes, there's uh, some sort of unforced error that occurs within the software. Sounds like a lawsuit to Tesla. You're right, Larissa. Uh, these uh, car manufacturers that are using or installing and advertising automatic autopilot or s- autonomous driving, uh, they do have liability if there's not a waiver in the in the contract that a court might court might find to be enforceable. Excuse me. One other thing that I thought was uh, interesting that I saw in the news, and I thought you might be interested in it, was this uh, removal of Theodore Roosevelt's uh, statute at the Museum of American... Is, it's of, muse- natu- of natural history. Yeah. This, this statute shows Theodore Roosevelt on a horse, and he's really buffed out. You know, Theodore Roosevelt was kind of a chunky guy. He wasn't this big, giant guy. And walking next to his horse is an Indian with a, with a headgear on, on one side of him, and on the other side is a African-American. And uh, it really is. Um, yeah, that's pretty faux pas now. Yeah, and they're removing it. The board of the museum uh, voted several years ago to remove it because it... Uh, it's w- very offensive. It's racist and also a symbol of colonialism. So since they've removed it, are they going to sell it? No, it's going to go to the uh, presidential uh, library for Theodore Roosevelt. And that's probably um, an appropriate place for it. Uh, it's uh, part of uh, his uh, history, and it, it was made for to celebrate Theodore Roosevelt's uh, presidency, however misguided it might have been. Now, I understand, Larissa, you are doing... Um, Estate planning seminars. Tell me about these seminars that you're going to be putting on. I'm going to be putting on estate planning seminars that are open to the public. The only thing that's required is registration on my website, which is southwestestateplanning.com. These seminars will be the third Wednesday and Thursday of every month. So this will be starting in February. And I'm going to be running them monthly in these seminars The audience will learn about trusts, wills, estate planning in general. We will discuss life insurance policies, and we will discuss uh, family wealth planning sessions. And I think that this topic is finally getting the attention that it deserves. Due to the pandemic, more and more people are aware of their mortality and taking appropriate steps to protect their loved ones, their family, and their legacy. So in in these seminars, we will be talking about how to keep your family out of court and conflict, meaning um, creating proper estate planning documents that family members cannot contest once a person is incapacitated or they have passed away. And... This is important because a lot of people are unaware of the probate process, which is the process that occurs when a person dies to transfer the assets of a living person, or excuse me, of a deceased person to living beneficiaries. And also, people are unaware of the guardianship process. If a loved one or family member becomes incapacitated and does not die, but they're unable to manage their financial and medical affairs. I've been working in these areas of law for several years, and I think that it's a topic that deserves a lot of attention from the public because it will touch most people's lives. 
So these seminars are purely educational. And as I mentioned, the only thing required is registration. There will be light hors d'oeuvres and a wine tasting along with an estate planning seminar. And if any of the listeners are interested in going, they just need to register at southwestestateplanning.com. So registration at southwestestateplanning.com under the in-person events tab. I hope to see everybody there and I look forward to helping everybody that's listening. Larissa, uh, you've had uh, quite a lot of experience in handling probate and estate uh, matters, have you not? I have. I have represented celebrity estates, B.B. King Estate, and I've also represented celebrities in estate planning. So that is my expertise. It's what I love. Um, I love helping with the planning and, and giving people that peace of mind and security that their affairs will be handled in the event they can't handle them themselves. And I love assisting people with the complicated and perplexing probate process. Well, before we sign off, Larissa, did you have fun today? I did. Well, I did too. It's always nice to uh, sit down and spend a little bit of time talking about current affairs with you. You've been listening to special programming sponsored by Stovall & Associates Law Firm. The content of this program did not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz & More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. (laughs) 